All right. Wow. Good stuff this morning. This was an amazing week. I uh, had my sermon put together, had my outline into Lulu two days before she needed it. I was on a roll. And uh, then which airline was it? Stepped in, Jim, and changed your flight plans? Delta Airlines. Yeah. So I had invited Jim to come and uh, share with us next Sunday and had all my plans. You know what they say? If, if you want to make God laugh, what you need to do? Make plans. And so I had everything all laid out, calendar, you know, just kind of like the way I like it, and Delta Airlines stepped in. Um, but either way, uh, God is good, right? Yes. Jim Hawking is the founder of Water for Good Ministry. He's going to come and tell us about and tell us what God's doing in the world in which you and I live. In the midst of pandemic worldwide, God's still alive and at work. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I first met Jim. I knew of him and his family. Uh, many of you knew his parents, Don and Betty Hawking, lifetime missionaries in the Central African Republic. Uh, Jim, Jim was born in Africa? No, but he grew up in Africa, his whole life almost in Africa. He uh, grew up in Africa, came came back to the States to go to school, and that's where we connected. Uh, family was home on furlough back in 71, 72, just a few years ago. And uh, Jim, I think, might have been a freshman in high school that year. And uh, so he was a part of the very first youth group that I uh, led as a junior high youth pastor back in the early 70s. And uh, got to know Jim and uh, be a part of his life. And God, in his uh, infinite wisdom, dropped into Jim's hands uh, early 2000s, 02, somewhere along in there, uh, drilling equipment to drill water. And so he's been uh, leading that effort in Africa for the last 18 plus or minus. He'll tell you because I've got it all screwed up, but that's okay. Um, Jim has become a very, very dear friend, a privilege to be a part of the ministry for Water for Good. Uh, those of you that were paying attention two years ago when I attempted my bike ride across country, uh, part of my plan was to raise money for Water for Good, and uh, God blessed, and we raised several thousand dollars, which was a, a great joy to, to be a part of that. And so it's our privilege this morning. I've asked Jim to come and uh, share some scripture with us, remind us of uh, God's goodness, and to tell us what God's up to in Central Africa in the ministry of uh, Water for Good. So, Jim... Hawking brought with him this morning, Greg Johnson. Where's Greg over there? Side, Greg's, wake up, Greg. Okay, there he is. Um, Greg's a part of the team at Water for Good and is traveling with Jim, and so it's a privilege to have uh, Greg with us this morning. Even though I called him by the wrong name twice, he's been very gracious, and I appreciate that. So welcome, Jim Hawking. Will you please? Thank you. I guess, yeah. I'm, no, I'm, I'm fine. It is good to be here. It really is. And he was gracious enough to say, yeah, we can switch that. No problem. And I'm going, okay. Thank you very much. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, I grew up in the Central African Republic. Um, I went over there when I was three years old, um, before independence of the Central African Republic. And then, um, you know, spent, uh, yeah, I guess I've been there about 50 years. So um, came home for high school, college, and then seminary, and then uh, have spent the rest of my life, the last, uh, let's see, 
36 years, 37 years there. So, um, but it's been it's been fun, and I have a number of um, stories I'd like to t- share with you through Scripture. But um, I always remember um, pygmies have always been a part of my life. Um, they've I was really short all my life. Okay, so. When I graduated from high school, I was five foot tall and 100 pounds. Um, so all my life growing up, I was about the same height as pygmies. I was, you know, I played with them all the time. We had lots of fun with them. We enjoyed building things together, hunting together. But um, I brought three pygmies to the States. Um, it wasn't easy. Let's just put it that way. Um, I'm just going to tell you a couple little things about the pygmies. So, so they they really value food. It's really important to them. And um, I have... So if you really want to hear more about this, you need to um, invite me out to lunch or something, and I'll fill you in. I've got a ton. But So I brought these three guys here with a pastor. And when we got here... Um, I'll never forget, it was probably the second day they were here. We were driving through Winona, and here was a squirrel that had already uh, been run over at least twice. And um, they were, the one pygmy was sitting up front, and the other two were in the back, and they were literally screaming at me to stop and pick up this squirrel. I said, the squirrel is flat. There's not (laughs) anything left in it. What do you mean? They go, that's food. We can't leave it on the road. We, we'll take it home and we'll dry it and we'll eat it. It'll be fine. I said, you don't want to eat that. You, you don't want to eat that. And they said, you have clean roads here compared to our dirt roads. This is paved road. It'll be fine. I said, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. Well, I just kept driving. They were not happy, but I kept driving. Well, then... Then, we took a trip over to Ohio. So we were driving down 30, and what do you think we saw alongside the road? A deer, a dead deer that was already bloated. And these three guys were sitting in the back this time. The pastor was sitting beside me. They were kneeling on the back seat, looking out the window, yelling at me to stop so they could get some of that meat. And I said, that meat's been there for at least two or three days, We're not going to stop and get it. They said, just please stop. We'll throw it in the trunk. We'll take care of it. Nothing. I said, I'm not going to throw it in the trunk. I don't want it in the trunk. And I just, you know, these guys, they just didn't understand how we handled food. And, again, I could tell you a bunch of stories, but we're going to, will you turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 82, and verses 2 to 4. Psalm 82, verses 2 to 4. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked.
this is what I do in the Central African Republic. You've already heard I grew up there. I spent most of my life there. I love those people, and I want to rescue them. I want to help them. I was in a northern town of Birabatum. You don't have to try and say that. You can say Ndili. It's close to Ndili. And we were up there. We had already drilled a well. I brought some visitors from the States. It was a two-day drive up there. We had to stop at a little uh, uh, Catholic mission and spend the night, and then we went on up to Birabatum. This village had never had clean water. They had actually dug probably as wide as this veranda here and probably, you know, 20, 30 feet long, a, a hole in the ground, and water would seep into there over the daytime, and then in the morning they would have enough water to get for most of the village. If too many people took too much stuff, there wasn't enough. That's all the water they had, and it was muddy. In Central Africa, 20% of the kids never reach the age of five. 20%. One in every five kids never makes it to the age of five. What I'm telling you about is a fixable problem. It's not impossible. We can drill water wells. We can give them clean water. We can help those young kids survive. But we just haven't done it. So here I am at Birabatum. I've gone down to see this water thing. Now we're actually, we've already drilled the water well. We've already built the cement slab. We're now come to put the pump on. And I'm standing at the back of the crowd under the shade because, yeah, I wear my hat most of the time because um, it's, it's hot. Um, yeah, in the middle of Africa, it's hot and there's lots of sunshine. So I'm standing in the shade behind a couple of, a number of ladies, actually. There was two of them that were arguing. And they were saying, the one was saying to the other one, do you think that that little metal thing that they're putting on that well is really going to get water out of the hole? And the other one turns to her and says, of course not. It took two big trucks here all day long for two days, making all kinds of noise to get water out of the hole. And yes, we saw the water coming out of the hole, and it was really nice water, and we gathered a bunch of it in our pans, but that little metal thing is not going to get the water out of the hole. And I thought, okay, um, should I tell them, number one, that I understand what they're saying? <laughs> and should I uh, tell them that it will, it will actually work? Uh, no, 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 let's not say anything. Let's just wait. So I waited, they got, it, they got it installed, and they started priming the pump, and the ladies were making comments there. Look, they're pouring the water down the pump. How is it going to get the water out? What are they doing? You know, and I'm just, I'm just trying to bide my time, just wait. Finally, we got the pump running, and I went over, got a little pan from one of the people, and brought the pan over. And now down in front of these two ladies, I said, here's the water in their language. Here's the water from that little metal thing that couldn't possibly get the water out of the hole. 
how long were you standing behind us? I said, well, uh, long enough. More importantly, where did you learn our language? I said, well, I grew up here in this country. Oh. So we have another question. Why are you here? I said, well, I'm here to make sure they do the right thing and make sure you actually get water. I, you know, I usually am here when they're drilling the well. And they go, no, 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 no. These guys knew what they were doing. They drilled the well. They installed the pump. They built the cement slab. They did everything, and you weren't around. They didn't need you. I said, well, you're right, and thank you for noticing. They said, so why are you here? I said, well, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Well, yes. In our religion, he's a prophet. I said, well, he's actually the savior of the world. And I'm here to make sure you understand that we're drilling this water well for your health, for your physical health, but we want you to know Jesus Christ for your spiritual health. Okay, that will accept. I said, well, thank you. I don't have any other reasons. But then they said, will you go with us into the village? We want to show you something. And I'm going, all right, what do they want? Okay, yeah, what, what am I going to see? They said, there's a little boy here, 18 months old, that's sick, very sick. And we want you to help him. I said, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm a well driller. There's a, there's a big difference between those two. And he said, no, just come and can you pray for him? So I went and saw this little baby dying of dysentery. Was not going to make it. I gave him a canteen with sugar water in it to try and give him some energy. He didn't make it. Um, he w- didn't die before I left, but I, I can't believe that he made it. But I prayed with him. And that was a vivid picture in my mind of what happens to so many of the kids in the Central African Republic that don't doesn't need to happen if they can have clean water. This is what Psalms is talking about. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be rescuing the weak and needy. Do we do that? Do we do that here? Do I do it in the Central African Republic? I have a couple other places. Could you turn over to Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If there is a poor man among you and your brothers in the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him what he needs. Hmm. Are we doing this? Verse 10, give generously to him, do so without a grudging heart, and then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. 
There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy. Wow. Did you get that? Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. And then because of this, the Lord your God will what? Bless you. The Lord your God will bless you in all your work. I trust that that's what God's going to do with Water for Good. We're doing this for the people of the Central African Republic. I talked about pygmies earlier. The pygmies lived in, that I knew the best, lived in Wali, way down in the forest. And I... I visited them quite often. They had terrible water problems. It was an hour walk downhill to get water, and then it was kind of a spring and a seep, but um, really bad. There was plenty there, but it really wasn't good water. And this was before I even left the mission. This was like 18, 20 years ago, and I tried to help them with a water well. So I didn't have a drill rig then. So what did I do? Well, I brought somebody from Yaluke, the town that I lived in, two days drive away. And I started, and he was a well driller, a well digger. So he dug wells. We built cement culverts about three feet in diameter, about two feet high. And we'd lay one on the ground Okay, stand it up on the ground there and then dig under the edges of it until it dropped down. And then we put another one on top and then dig it down and away we went. Well, when we got to about 40 feet, the air got a little thin in there. And when we, we'd let the lamp down, the lamp would go out. Not a good thing for somebody else to go down there. So then I had to drive two days back, get an air compressor and drive back, just a little air compressor like the construction guys use, and I'd pump air down there. So first thing in the morning, we'd pump air down, and then we'd start, we'd start working. 20 feet, oh well, 40 feet, 50 feet, 60 feet, 70 feet, 80 feet, 90 feet, still no water, 100 feet. We were 100 feet deep, and now the culverts, you know, kind of, rocked a little bit it didn't even get damp there was no water what did we have we had the deepest latrine ever had ever discovered there in the central african republic that's all we had but the pygmies remembered that and they said you tried hard they said it's okay so when i got the drill rig the very next year, 2000, well, I got it in 2004. In 2006, I went and tried to drill a well there. We drilled down to 190 feet. Still no water. Now, I've drilled wells now to almost 300 feet, but at that time we hadn't drilled that deep. So, didn't succeed. And they said, it's okay, you tried. We saw you spend money. You spent money to come and help us. 
you paid the, the workers, you bought fuel, you bought everything, and we didn't get water. God knows. That was their answer. God knows. I said, well, you still need water. I'm not done. So later on, in 2010, Charity Water came out, and they said, we're going to help you, Jim. We want every pygmy to have access to clean water. I said, I'm in. I'd like that. So we started working again. So we went and drilled a well. Now we drilled 250 feet. By the time we got to 250 feet, they had what is called heaving sand, and we couldn't keep the hole open. We didn't have a mud pump at that time. So um, they weren't very happy. Neither Charity Water nor the village that I hadn't succeeded. But we went to the, another village, and within, within 12 hours, we had water. So he said, okay, Wally is difficult. I came home. I bought a $50,000 mud pump, shipped it out to Africa, and we got water a year later. And the pygmies said to me, Jim, you love us, and that's why you did this for us. Thank you. For even though things did not go well, you did not give up. You continue to try. There's another passage of scripture I'd like you to go to. Just a moment here. If I can find my marker, which should be in here somewhere. Here we go. Will you go to um, go to James chapter one, verses two to four? This could apply to the persistence that we went through for the pygmies. But I want to tell you another story that, that happens. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask of God. Well, let me tell you. There was a lot of times that I didn't feel like I had enough wisdom. You know, you realize, in 2004, when I got the drill rig, I had never drilled a water well in my life. The most I had to do with water was when I was at Brethren High and I was the water boy for the, for the baseball team. That was my water experience. Then I went out there and I hand dug a well and it wasn't very successful, but I had to learn how to drill water wells. But God kept teaching me. There was another man who went through a whole lot more trials than I did. His name is Abukar. Abukar was a pastor from the northern part of the country, from the Muslim region of the country, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, and then started working with the Fulani people outside the city of Bangui. Why were the Fulani people outside the city of the Bangui? Well, the problem is that the Fulani raise cattle. 
and cattle eat gardens. So villages don't like the Fulani people anywhere near their village. So they always live on the outskirts of town. Well, Abukar saw this, and he said, I'm going to plant churches among the Fulani people. They speak a language that I can understand, and so he did. They actually speak um, another, a little bit different language than he did. He spoke Arabic, and they spoke Fulbe, but they are related, and he was able to talk with them and understand. So that's what he did. He came to me, and he said, Jim, I need you to help me. Could you drill a well for the, um, for the Fulani people in this village out here in the outskirts because I really need a water well? And I, I said, well, I know they need a water well, but it's just not that easy. It costs, you know, $18,000 to drill a water well. But I'll start talking to people in the States, and we'll find somebody that will help us. And sure enough, we found a couple of churches that put the, their money together, and we drilled a water well for them. I came back three months later after this well was installed, and he said, Jim, you wouldn't believe it. The church is growing, and the people in the church tell me they've never had anybody do anything special for them, much less anything they needed. And he said, drilling this water well has made an incredible impact in this community. I said, well, great. He said, I want to start another church. I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. And he, so he did. I mean, he, he started another church about 15 miles away, and he needed another well. We drilled another well. But that's not what I want to share with you about Abulkar. Because Abulkar was a good, solid pastor, an incredible man. He was up at a prayer meeting, a two-day prayer meeting in 2013 when the war was going on and the rebels, the Muslim rebels, had come through the country, destroyed all of our compounds. They destroyed one of the compounds of Water for Good. And during this time, he was riding his motorbike back down from Bwali, which is up about 70 kilometers north, rode his motorbike. He got stopped on the road by the, the rebels, the Seleka, as they were called. And he started talking in Arabic to him. And they go, well, you know, you need to give us something. And he goes, well, I don't have anything. I'm a pastor. I don't have any money. He goes, well, we're going to take your motorcycle. He goes, well, I can't do anything about it. I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give you. They said, okay. So they took his motorcycle, and he started walking. He had to walk another, you know, probably eight miles. And he started walking. He came to another barrier, and they said, you know, where are you going? He goes, well, I'm going to my village. It's down the road here, about, you know, four more miles, and then I'll be home. And they said, well, you know, you, you need to give us something. He said, well... People back there already took all I had. They took the the motorcycle. I don't have anything else. Well, as he was talking, there was a general there sitting under a tree over in the back. And he said, hey, bring that guy over to me. So they called him over. He came over, stood, stood in front of the general. And the general said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from this northern town here, you know. Uh, and he named the town. And the general said, uh, that's the town I'm from. 
when did uh, when did you leave? He said, well, I left there about you know six years ago and became a Christian, and I now pastor a church. He says, well, how much money do you make at the church? He goes, well, I make about twenty dollars a month. He goes, twenty dollars a month. You can't survive on that. He said, well, the people will bring me some food. Um, sometimes they're Fulani people, so they have cattle. Sometimes they'll bring me meat. They bring me some food. And it's enough. It's okay. He said, really? Is it? We've heard that church has lots of money. That The president goes there. No, the president doesn't go there. You know, we've never seen the president. Um, but, you know, we, you know we, we do. They do take care of me. I'm okay. And he goes... Well, you, I'll tell you what. We're going to let you go. We're not going to require you to give anything more to us. We're going to let you go, but I'm going to come visit your church. So expect me next week or in two weeks, I'll be there to visit your church. He said, okay, you're welcome. Anybody's welcome to my church. So everybody, you know, lets him go. He goes right onto the house. He tells his wife all that happened. He told the deacons what happened. He goes, be praying. Two weeks later, two military trucks with machine guns and men hanging out all every side roll into the church, drive around the church twice, and then park. Everybody's in the church is laying on the on the ground now. They're afraid they're going to get mowed down right away. And pastor walks out and says hi, recognizes this general, and he says, "Well, I'm here." He says, "I want to I want to give the." your church people a lesson. He goes, well, well, wait a minute. I'm going to be speaking in about five minutes here. Let me give my lesson and, and teach the people first. He goes, that's fine. You teach them your lesson, and then I'm going to come in and teach them my lesson. He goes, okay. So he gave a gospel message, and he gave it in Fulbe and then in Arabic. So he'd, he'd say a phrase in Fulbe, say a phrase in Arabic, say a phrase... Because he knew all the military guys around, they understood Arabic. So he said, okay, I'm going to take advantage of this. He shared a a plain and simple plan of salvation with everybody. Man, everybody was, you know, the the people in 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 the church, they were just trembling. They didn't know what was going to happen next. So then he finished, he prayed the final prayer, and the general starts to come in. He goes, well, wait a minute, we haven't taken the offering yet. We need to take the offering. So they took the offering, and the offering means they go, they go up. They, everybody walks up, drops their 10 cents or 50 cents or whatever they can in the offering plate, come back and sit down. So they, they do all this. They sing a song. They do all this. And then he goes out and says, okay, General, you can go in. So the General walks in. He looks at the little box. He dumps it out on the table, kind of fingers through the money. And then he starts talking to the people. He said, you know, when I decided to come here, I was going to come and kill your pastor. When I got done killing him, I was going to kill all of you. You're Christians and we're Muslim. We were just going to kill you all. But you know, you have a special pastor. He told the truth. He told me, he made $20 a month. In that offering plate is about $6. That's no way to take care of your pastor. I'm just telling you, you better take care of your pastor better. 
but I'm going to help. And he laid a 10,000 franc bill, which is about $20. He laid it in the offering plate and then scraped off the rest of the money on top. And he said, this is how you should be taking care of your pastor. Take care of your pastor because I'm going to come and check on you. And you know what? Until he left Bangui, he sent a military guy over every week to give some more offering. Now, I see that as perseverance. I think, you know, believe me, folks, I've been robbed at gunpoint. I know what it's like to have guns pointed at you. This man didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate to give the gospel even during that time. And I just, I just feel like oftentimes we don't do that. And what I want to share with you is that the people in CAR that I work with are this kind of people. They persevere through very difficult times. They've persevered through COVID. We haven't been there in six months. And every well has been taken care of. We have drilled water wells. We have fixed equipment. We have done everything that needs done. We have paid salaries for every single Central African that works for Water for Good. Because we believe that's the most important thing that has to happen, is what's happening in the Central African Republic. Giving clean water to the people of Central Africa so more of their kids have survived. People ask, ask me, why don't you do any more church planning, Jim? And I said, well, the churches out there, when I started with the mission, there was about 750 churches. When I finished with the mission, there was about 2,400 churches. And today there's about 3,500 churches. I think they know how to do church planting. I think maybe they should send somebody over here to teach us a little bit more about church planting because they're doing a good job. I think... My most important job is to keep all those church members and the pastors and their families alive. And the best thing I can do is give them clean water. So that's my job right now, giving them clean water, helping them survive in a time when it's very, very difficult. Turn with me one more passage to 2 Timothy 2.2. You've probably heard this, pas- this passage spoken about before. But this is one of my favorite passages because I don't think it applies just to teaching the gospel and discipling other people. I think it means discipling even Central Africans and even discipling them of how to maintain wells, how to drill water wells, how to do the mechanics to keep it all going. Let me read with you. 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 6. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of the cross. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Yes. We drill wells at village churches all across the country. And, by the way, 
we try and make sure every single water for good worker has clean water. We've had to drill a few extra wells for them. Because we believe they should have clean water as well. But I think we need to train people how to share their faith through giving clean water. And that's what my job is right now. God has given us incredible victories. And this year we're hoping to complete by the end of the year 123 new wells for people in villages. This is what it's all about. Giving people, giving young girls the opportunity to go to school, giving mothers the opportunity to have clean water for cooking, and giving our, our men, our churches, clean water. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for this church, for these people, for what they have done through Water for Good. I remember a couple years ago when I was here, and how many people continue to support and pray for Water for Good. Thank you just so much for, even though the trials that we're going through with COVID-19 and all the difficulties that we're facing, they're not nearly what the people in Central Africa face. We can do this. We can persevere. Lord, we need your strength, and we ask you to continue to supply our every need. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
I love that song. Thank you. When Peter was in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, among many things that he shared with them as they came to faith that day was these words in verse 38 of Acts 10. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I think often of that verse when I think of the ministry of Water for Good. It was Jesus' reputation that he went about doing good. And that's what Jim and the team of Central Africans are attempting to accomplish in in that country. They're going about doing good and uh, drilling water wells. And God's doing some amazing things. Jim could tell stories all day. I'm looking forward to spending some time with him this week and and hearing some more of those stories. I hope one of the sub-themes that you heard... As you listen to Jim share scripture and share stories this morning, one of the sub-themes that we need to be hearing is, Jesus did good, water for good is doing good in Central Africa, and God's call and claim in your life and mine is that we would do good right where he's planted us. That we would do good as a church family here in the city of Norwalk, that each one of us would be doing good in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And I wonder if we invested just a little bit of time in prayer and thought, if God might just impress upon us specific things that we could do to do good in the lives of other people. It was true for Jesus, it's true in Central Africa, and I believe it's true in the city of Norwalk, that if, that if we do good and touch and impact the lives of people in, in good ways, that God's going to cause many to respond and come to faith. Let's make that our prayer this morning. Lord, we're grateful for this time that we've shared together. I'm so grateful for Jim, my friendship with him. I'm grateful for your work through him and the the team at uh, Water for Good, especially for all the Central Africans that comprise uh, the team in Africa, for the work that they do, for the lives that they touch. And we would pray together that you would multiply those efforts of doing good and cause that many would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, would you come alongside us just as you were with Jesus, empowering and enabling him. And just as you're with Jim and the team in Africa, you're with them. So you're with us right here in Southern California. Would you lead us? Would you direct us together as a church family and individually to be men and women, boys and girls whose lives are marked by doing good? And might it be out of that context that you would open doors of opportunity for us to tell people about Jesus' love for them, his death, his payment for sin, his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for doing that for us, that we might magnify and glorify the name of Jesus in this place. That's our simple prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So go into your work, into your week, doing good. Can you do that? I believe we can. Have a great week.